Welcome to Witch Yes, the podcast for casual conjurings, witches in training, and the prettiest little girl at the party. And that's you. I'm Alicia Herter. And that's me. I'm Tara Keck. On today's episode, Pennsylvania Witchcraft, Witches in the News, and a Spell for Witchy Wisdom. What secrets? I want to know. Too many Baby. secrets. Baby! Babe! Mama! Happy birthday! Thank you so much. It is today. It is today, the day we are recording, not the day this is out, but everyone should always wish Tara a very happy birthday. This has been... So I was off social media. I thought you were going to say, and this has been Witch Yes, and you were just going to end it right there. <laughs> That's my dream. I was like, can we just put out another Patreon episode? And everyone was like, no, the baby witches, they need you and your special brand of comedy to get them through the hardest times in their life. And I said, okay, fine. It's true. The coldest days of the year are coming. Yeah, the darkness. Oh, my God. Wait, like getting out of work when it's the dead of night yeah. is the saddest thing. I'm sorry. That's awful. Yeah, I mean, you can apologize. You yeah, apologize. I mean. Do it again. I do a work from home, so I'm very sorry. On your birthday? <laughs> On your day of birth. Yeah. Ridiculous. I don't know. Here's how I feel. Here's how I feel. My mom gave birth to me 7.30 a.m. PM. AM. Okay. Just in time to get on the highway and endure rush hour traffic. Her labor, 30 minutes. Classic Tam. Because I had some place to be. That's true. She pinched me out. Pop. She Courtney Kardashian. She just like lifted you out of her vagina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was in the Thames, the River Thames, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and was like, I don't have time for this. I've got a brunch reservation. <laughs> She's like, oh shit, I need a babysitter. Well, good thing I had all these children with another man 14 (laughs) years ago. But uh, no, no, no. The the story my father tells. So he wasn't allowed to be there. As far as I understand it, there are family secrets. But as far as I understand it, for his first child, he was not allowed to be there for the birth. So he was reading about the birthing process that sometimes it takes a while. Yes. For, you know... Things to come together, children to position themselves and such. Sometimes You're there's like complications. Marinating, you know? Right, 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 right. So my dad brought games. Excellent. To the delivery room, thinking that, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, there's like downtime. Like you're not just like push for like 53 hours, right? Mm-hmm. And he was really disappointed that he didn't get to play any of his games. And that's why he <laughs> named you Uno. Christian name is Uno Jr. Uno Jr. Cat. Yes, yes, yes. Here's also, if we can spend a little more time on my birthday. Oh, of course. If you have the time. Because I know that people don't know Alicia has COVID. So I've got all the time in the world. (laughs) She's not allowed to go anywhere. (laughs) So what happens every other year is that my birthday is a make-or-break situation politically. Mm-hmm. And some years it's really bad, and some years it's really good. So this year I said, I don't want to handle the stress, and I took all my social media and put it in like a little folder and hid it on my phone. And the name of the folder is Don't You Dare, You Ugly Bitch. Well, and that's so rude. All my social... 
Well, it's that's how I need to talk to myself because I need to get myself in line. No, because Julia Cameron would completely disagree from the artist I way. Gonna, I knew you were going to bring her into this. Of course. What else have we been obsessing over for the past 12 weeks? <laughs> so I did my like birthday post or whatever. But like part of this was also like, I don't want to be obsessing over who wishes me a happy birthday. And I got so many little texts from people that were like, hey, like, you know, I just want to wish you a happy birthday. And that was like so much more meaningful to me than like, you know, whoever put shit on my birthday posts or whatever, or like messaged me on Instagram because I put something on my Instagram. But like my friend Sarah Minsky messaged me like first thing in the morning. She was like, hey, I hope you're having a lovely day. Like people that like really remember your birthday. It's like the it's like the Facebook fallacy of like people are reminded of your mm-hmm. birthday because Facebook tells them. And like the people that have like individually texted me and been like, hey, you're a special girl in my life and I know your birthday. That's pretty crazy. Regardless, like that's special. That is special. I was like, okay, I guess you're in my bridal party. <laughs> <laughs> you're just like giving it out to everyone now. Anybody that messaged me today, you get a gift box. <laughs> you get a you get a care package. It's a free spoon, but it'll be very exciting. <laughs> A spoon! With my my face on it. Yeah. So tell us the COVID tales. How are you doing? How are you feeling? You look gorgeous. Thank you. Thank you. I did shower today. That was a big accomplishment. It's very easy with COVID and not going anywhere to like not shower. Because like why? You're like, I'm in pajamas all day, which is so comfy. It's Mm -hmm. awesome. It's a good life. Mm -hmm. It's a good way to be. Just feeling like a little sicky and then finally tested positive. I'm starting to be on the come up. Probably by the time this is out, I'll be like moving and grooving again. But we were like, we should probably not hang out with each other on your birthday. Yeah. Just in case. Because next week I start teaching. Mm -hmm. And I was like, when Alicia tested positive, I was like, it would be actually really bad for me. Fiscally, emotionally, career, spiritually, all of it. And she's very about it. So, I mean, yeah. anytime Alicia gets to stay home. Oh, I love staying home. You have a beautiful home. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah, this is our first remote episode of which, yes, of a full length, right? No, we did we do a mini-sode? We have never done a successful mini-sode. So, another reason why we're doing this, Baby Witches, we've been talking about our Patreon goal. So, right now, we're at 89 of our 500 Patreon Witches goal. One of the reasons that we've been saving up for equipment is because Alicia is moving back to Los Angeles (gasps) and I'm not I can't go with her yet what I know it's devastating so what we're trying to do is that we're trying to do what other podcasts did during the pandemic is that we're trying to go online we spent the whole pandemic together we did (laughs) (laughs) and now when you can actually hang out with people we need to be apart Yes. So one of the reasons that we are working on our equipment savings and and trying to get our whole situation together is because Alicia and I need to figure out remote recording and also create good spaces in Alicia's new apartment and also in my shitty apartment that is still the same one. And so baby witches, we could really use some new Patreon witches. Last week was part two of our hacks and video series, which if you haven't listened to is fucking hilarious. So funny. It's excellent. And then next week is we are diving deep into why so many people have, quote, past lives in the Holocaust. So I don't know. Get interested. It sounds very controversial. It does. 
Ooh. And we're going to handle it with care and love and joy and Coventry. So in addition, of course, look in our show notes for the link to our Patreon, but head over to our Tee Public to get Witch Yes merch like Satan's Little Snack and Baby Witch shirts, totes, and sweaters because it's time to get cozy and comfy with somebody you love. It's cuffing season, baby. Exactly. Oh, she knows. She's cuffed. I'm nearly legally cuffed. She's birthday cuffed. It's a different kind. An exciting kind. So this week, we're going to talk about Pennsylvania witchcraft. And one of the reasons we got into the subject was, I mean, there was a very contentious election that just happened. It was spooky as fuck. It was crazy. So the big one, I mean, all of it was big. The whole thing was a big election, honestly, the midterms. But a big one was the governor race of John Fetterman versus the Mehmet Oz. Is he actually a doctor? Like, did he go to school to be a doctor? Like a doctor the way like Sutton Foster is a doctor because Ball State University gave her like an honorary PhD. Hold on. Is Mehmet Oz a doctor? Or is he just a man on television? He's a retired cardiothoracic surgeon. Okay. The word surgeon makes it sound like he was a doctor. But I'm sure he's like, you know, a doctor in the same way that I'm a reverend. Yeah, I can see that. And I got to say, John Fetterman, though, very attractive. Oh, arms. Arms. Such big arms. I love listening to him talk, even with like, since his stroke. I'm Mm -hmm. like, give me everything, baby. I don't think I've listened to him. All I've, I've just looked. I didn't need to hear anything. It's daddy. Ooh, excellent. I love that. This is daddy. What was on our Pennsylvania trip? What was it? That's daddy. That's daddy. Baby. John Fetterman, that's daddy. So daddy. So. And he's coming to pick me up. (laughs) (laughs) And toss you. Fucking like shot put you out of there. So that's how we landed on the discussion of Pennsylvania witchcraft. Because you always hear about like Salem witchcraft and the Salem witch trials. But there were other fucking colonies, other places fucking shit up around the coast. Just like. Pennsylvania. And so we have a fun little story to just like get you into it. Are you ready, Tara? I'm so ready. I'm ready for this forgotten fucking buck wild place to teach me something about myself. Exactly. So in 1684, an angry mob came to William Penn and accused two women of being witches. One was named Margaret Matson, and she's the Swedish woman. And the other one was named Yethro Hendrickson. And Margaret Madsen, there was like more information about Margaret than Yethro. So now we know there's two people. We're going to drop Yethro like a fucking hot potato. We don't care about this bitch anymore. With these hands, delicate. She'll be fine. She's fine. Okay. So this is Margaret's story because any woman named Margaret wants their own story. You know what I mean? And William Penn's like, okay, well, witchcraft. That's like a weird thing to say about someone. Like, this is very bizarre. But I guess we can have a trial, like, and see what happens. And Margaret's very much like, no, I'm not a witch. I didn't do anything. Blah, 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 blah. (laughs) She's like, please leave me alone. Exactly. My roots, vegetables. You keep coming to my house, stepping on my garden. I'm not having a good time over here, please. Uh, But she has a Swedish accent. But, you know, I have COVID right now, so I can't really replicate a Swedish accent for you. Please leave my vegetables alone. Oh, my God. That was so good. that wasn't it. No, I feel like that was it. Oof, I'm Margaret Matson, and I've, I'm here alone in Pennsylvania. I wish that I was in my home country, but I had to flee for my own religious uh, freedom. Okay. Right naked in the woods. I love this. That's great. 
Look at you. I have set up for you every day. So William Penn's like, let's have this trial. Let's hear what everyone has to say. Margaret was like, I'm not guilty. And the accusers were like, well, we have evidence. So we heard the typical accusations of the time. Like she bewitched someone's cow, allegedly. She said spooky things under her breath to someone. Allegedly. She's speaking Parseltown. She was doing the ASMR that I was doing to my nephew. Just like. (laughs) Just like that. And then one accusation was even like, I saw her holding a knife at the foot of my bed, staring at me in the middle of the night. But that was also allegedly. Like there was no actual evidence. It was just, you know, hearsay. Typical witchcraft shit. I'm assuming this was like a butter knife and I'm assuming he just had like a really kinky dream, you know? And he really didn't want to get into it and he was probably like all handcuffed up and shit and just like having a groovy time. But he couldn't say that part because like, I don't know. Kink, I don't know if kink was very like much warranted in young Pennsylvania. Pretty straight laced, I I think, right? Yeah. That is is missionary all day, every day. Yeah. And we're doing it because we need a son. And it's hetero. Because there's nothing else over here. Other things don't exist, right? Wink. And so William Penn heard all of this and he's like, okay, it doesn't sound real. (laughs) Poor (laughs) William Penn, the Quaker. He's just trying to be like, uh, okay, whatever. And so at this point, he decides to get a little cheeky. And allegedly, according to urban legends, I love that I've just been saying allegedly every like sentence. Like I realize I'm doing it and I'm doing it on purpose. But according to urban legend, when Margaret Matson was on the stand, William Penn had the audacity, because you know, he thought this was going to be really funny. He had the audacity to ask Margaret if she had ever flown on a broomstick through the air, because of course she's going to say, no, she hasn't done that. No one can do that. That was his whole point. That was his whole way of thinking. But Margaret's fucking Swedish. She doesn't know what the fuck this man's saying to her. He probably looks weird. Why is she even listening to him? So she said, yes, she just genuinely did not know what this man was saying. Why would there be a broomstick in the air? Why would she have to worry about such a stupid fucking question? And so then William Penn had to backtrack and be like, well, everyone in the court, it's not technically a crime to ride a broomstick in the air. It's not against the law that our lovely fucking king has put down for us. It's fine. But come on, dude. Like, that's the way where you're like having a court case and you're actually not looking out for any of the victims. Like, that was a super shitty thing to say. Oh my God, obscene. Outrageous. I don't know what like the law was like back then probably non-existent nearly so maybe he gets a little some leeway with that i guess but we end the trial the drum roll you know the judge goes back comes back with a verdict i'm gonna say he because it most likely was not a female judge and he's like okay well we are going to find margaret madsen guilty of having the common fame of being a witch but not guilty for the crimes so she's guilty that all of her neighbors think she's a witch, but she didn't actually do anything according to this court process. But she still had to pay a fee of like 50 pounds. What? No, that's crazy. Of just like people not liking her. Mm-hmm. And then she was released to the custody of her husband to guarantee like good, like a six good months of good behavior under like, you know, this man's watch, which it was like, 
this man is obviously not watching his woman if she's <laughs> causing this much of a stir in the community. She was probably just a hottie, you know? Like, that was probably she's the problem. up in the middle of the night, hanging over Ben's beds with knives. Where exactly. is your husband, Margaret? He's sleeping. He's asleep. <laughs> That's how we do it. And so she later became known as the Witch of Ridley Creek. And so the interesting thing about this is this occurred in 1684. And that was less than 10 years before the Salem Witch Trials. So, of course, it was an unjust verdict. Like, she still had to pay something when it's like, was she on trial for people thinking she's a witch? I don't really know. Also, Mm -hmm. can she countersue for defamation? Because this is kind of crazy. Yeah, very Witch of Pungo. Exactly. But if William Penn had said she was, like, actually guilty, this could have kick-started the whole Salem witch trial thing. But in Pennsylvania, like, almost a decade before the Salem witch trials even happened. It's crazy. And then it kind of, like, makes sense, too. Because in 1685, literally one year after this Margaret Matson trial, King James, you know, of England, of England, came out with an act against conjuration, witchcraft, and dealing with evil and wicked spirits. And this act entered English law and then was added word for word to the new colonial act. So verbatim being like, all right, now we got to look out for conjurings, witchcraft, dealing with the devil, all this shit. And so this is what colonists were looking at right before the Salem witch trials. And you got to think there has to be some kind of lag there because this comes into place in 1685 in England. And they got to get that motherfucker from England to at least Massachusetts and then Bust into, like, horse bust into Pennsylvania. That may, I mean, they gotta go over a lot of mountains. Exactly. So there's already this thing in place talking about witchcraft from England, which, you know, it was very spooky-ooky in Europe. We were very scared. A lot of persecutions happening around then. And so it's very, like, on the minds of people. And especially, like, I don't know if, listeners, if you've ever just been to the East Coast, not New York City, I'm not talking about New York City, but, like, go, like, an hour and a half out of new york any direction this is the spookiest motherfucking place the trees are not right they are the land watching you sick. yes they are. it's crazy it's so every time alicia and i go outside of the city massachusetts pennsylvania you feel the devil's presence <laughs> and he wants you to join him you know and there are these mountains and there's you know bears there's wildcats there's wolves there's just wolves are fine like they actually don't really hurt people we're not misleading people with that information but there's a lot of spooky shit out there and i mean maybe that wolf would take your baby like how that dingo ate her baby but you shouldn't leave your baby unattended he would never create a case of defamation throughout the australian outback (laughs) much like the australian government did to that poor woman whose baby was devoured it's Tragic. But we are not here to talk about the tragedies of Australia today. They know their problems. Not with our accents. But so Pennsylvania, like little witch hunts were cropping up all over Pennsylvania for like the next 100 years. And then in 1749, after refusing to prosecute an accused witch, authorities were forced to deal with a riot. So this is kind of like the big time a group of people came together and were rioting because they believed so much that someone was a witch and authorities just weren't having it. So these mobs are happening. People are starting to get like unsettlingly angry and coming together which is the worst kind oh how uh how of community you know relatable i know i know 
And in 1787, so this is almost like almost 40 years later, a mob harassed and attacked an old woman who, of course, they believed she was a witch. And she had been attacked on two previous occasions, but had survived both. But this time, so this is the third time this old woman was attacked, which is kind of insane. This time the mob was relentless, shouting accusations and berating anyone who attempted to come to her aid. So now no one can help her this time. And they began throwing stones at her and they literally murdered this woman in broad daylight. And so it's crazy. So there were multiple attempts to have the Witchcraft Act repealed. And even Benjamin Franklin got involved. So this is happening. You know, we got big Philadelphia. We got the boonies of Pennsylvania. We've got all of our little colonies working out. And Benjamin Franklin was trying to repeal this colonial legislature, but his efforts were defeated. And the act only disappeared in 1794 when Pennsylvania was literally restructuring its legal system as part of the young United States. So first, colonialism as the colonies had to go down. And only then when they're like, okay, well, we actually need a real government with our own rules, were they able to be like, we shouldn't be able to just accuse anyone for being a witch and like kill them and let that be okay. It's not really cool, is it? I mean, that is amazing, though, that like, in an age where like war and uncertainty and power are like so kind of like catastrophically cattywampus that mm-hmm. like we would be like no like the justice system is all fucked up because you can literally just say somebody like whipped me with cattails in the middle of the night while I was on the moon and now you're in jail yeah like that's crazy which I love that you use the word cattywampus because we should all use that word that was the most ridiculous nope. thing I've ever heard <laughs> What a birthday privilege to just throw out the word <laughs> cattywampus. I was like, okay, but duly noted the cattywampus of it all. Yeah, so I mean, it was very believed that witchcraft was real in Pennsylvania. And so we kind of had different sectors of witchcraft of the time through like a Pennsylvania Dutch lens, which as we learned is Pennsylvania douche and just like, maybe not douche, that sounded like douchebag. Pennsylvania douche. The Pennsylvania douches. Clean it out. Exactly. Clean it out of there. But Dutch meaning like German, not actually Dutch. So they did adopt some of like the Swedish people who were already here in the colonies. But a lot of the people who moved here were German. And with that had like a lot of Quaker beliefs. Pennsylvania was known as a Quaker state. And with those Quaker like beliefs, there was a lot more openness to everyone's like ideas of like where you came from, like what's your personal history and culture and letting that like be okay and you can just kind of live however you want to live welcome to america this is what you signed up for that sort of thing it's been waiting for you exactly and so a lot of the old german traditions had ideas of like folk magic like folk healers and also powwowers which we'll talk about later towards the end of this episode and those are kind of like good magic in their eyes witchcraft for them was bad magic it's like very evil It's we do not fuck with it. If you're practicing witchcraft, you're doing it to like hurt someone or like Mm -hmm. harm someone. Like you're trying to take someone down Mm -hmm. where the other ones are more about like bringing people up. So witchcraft was a big, big, big no-no and in a place that's so scary already. Yeah. It's not good. We don't need any more. We don't need any more of this negative energy. (laughs) Exactly. 
And there was one little blurb from Richard Shainer, who is the author of Hexery, A Practice of Witchcraft, that talked about how to become a witch, according to Pennsylvanians of the time. And so this says, the Pennsylvania Dutch identified several methods by which one could become a witch in the Pennsylvania German tradition. One particularly cruel method required the person wishing to become a witch to boil a black cat or a toad alive. The would-be witch would have to gather the unfortunate animal's bones and toss them into a stream or creek. One bone would supposedly float against the current, and that bone would then serve as the witch's source of power. Which is, this is a lot of work. This is, you gotta find a bone, well, you gotta find a cat or yeah. a toad. And then just boil it alive? That's that just weird. Time. Yeah. Haven't you ever heard the story of that toad? How do you boil a toad? You put it in at room temperature, and then you gotta slowly turn up the heat. Just like with, you know, the U.S. political system. What the fuck are you talking about? What do you mean? That's the story of how do you boil a toad? How do you boil a frog? But it's like why you, is this a story? You put it in the pot. It's like a metaphor for, like, how do you get something done? Like, how do you, like, lead someone to their ruin? Is like, you don't just, like... <laughs> immediately throw a toad in boiling water because it'll hop out with their powerful hopping legs is that you put it in at room temperature it gets cozy and then you slowly turn up the temperature okay but why don't you it doesn't even realize just put it in and put a lid on top it's so fast you it'll think it's right out it's like okay, lightning, okay. baby just like lightning and also these fucking deutsch ass frogs these fucking german frogs mm-hmm. you cannot contain them they were probably much faster back then yeah before we dumb them down with our inbreeding yeah into the little, <laughs> our uh... inbreeding <laughs> we like, oh, made we gross babies hard. and they were like i gotta go slower because this is i gotta <laughs> if you go too fast me. that's what happens it's not good <laughs> yeah exactly exactly Anyway, back back to it, back to it. Another method involved the person drawing a circle on the ground made out of coal. She would then step into the circle because, you know, all witches are women, of course. We can't trust a woman. She would then step into the circle while holding out her hand. And the devil would supposedly appear, take her by the hand, and mark it. And from that point on, the person would have the power of a witch. So very like witch's mark, very like there's a mole or a wart or a boil or like a... I don't know, a scar. The bitch has alopecia. I don't know. You know? Oh, no. She's got alopecia on her hands. The She's most. The most beautiful, hairless hands. Like a dolphin. Ooh, slippery. Put this bitch on the swim team. She's got no aerodynamic. <laughs> uh, what is, I don't know what it is. Yeah, she's just flip-flopping out of here. She is wet. And wild. And <laughs> A third possible way required the person to stand on a pile of manure while swinging a hook around in the air. The hook part sounds metal. The pile of manure sounds awful. This person had to deny Christ and promise herself to the devil, and she would then be able to access the dark powers, which almost seems like a little too easy, honestly. Like the first one is like you're literally murdering an animal. The second one... Well, the second one's kind of easy, but you have to wait for the devil to actually appear. But, I mean, if you're wearing shoes, I stepped in dog shit a few days ago, and I'm over it. Like... I don't know. I stepped in dog shit, like, a few weeks ago, and I'm not over it. I'm very distraught. So you are definitely, out of these three options, you're Mm -hmm. not the manure type. I'm not the manure type. No. Oh, give me in that. Give me in that pile. (laughs) All right. 
Now we have some Pennsylvania witchcraft stories. Are you ready, Tara? I am more than ready. You tucked in. You got your popcorn. You're feeling very cozy. I got my s'more. Oh my God, I love it. So this is the story of Judge B.F. Brewster. And this was in Allegheny County, which should be just upriver from like Pittsburgh area. And so the story is an angry mob of local citizens dragged a frightened woman to the judge's doorstep. He had kind of moved like out of the city. You know, he was like, I'm on the edge of retiring. I just want a nice little life by myself with my garden. But no, an angry mob had to appear with a woman who's screaming. You know, it's not good. My nightmare. The judge like was bewildered because he's like, why are they here? But he just didn't give a fuck about the mob. He was like, why are you here? Bitch, like leave. And so he just wanted to mitigate the situation. And the citizens are all like, she's a witch. We saw her perform witchcraft. Like she's evil. We need to do something about it. That very like angry mob mentality coming and they're looking for justice for revenge, for vengeance, something. And so the judge was like, okay, let's just do a trial on my doorstep. Let's just get it over with. So they did. And so people were giving testimony. And at one point of the testimony, members of the mob began to demand that the witch be executed. I'm sure it started out as like some fucking little chant, you know? Mm-hmm. They're just Lock like- Lock her up. <laughs> Lock her up. <laughs> we need to see the emails. Yes. Show us the tax returns. Judge Brewster told the crowd that he needed a little time to consult his legal books before he could like make a final decision. And he was like, okay, I hear you guys. Like, I understand you want to kill her, but I'm going to take the woman inside because I need to look at my legal books. And I really don't trust her staying out here before I've made my decision. So they both go inside. And then they start kissing. No. Wouldn't that be cute? That would have been a good way to like have the story go. In, they fell in love. It was all he ever wanted. Unrequited love. But no. Once inside, Judge Brewster quickly arranged for her to secretly escape his house and sneak away. Because he was like, I can tell them you're innocent, but they don't care. We're at that point. And even if I tell them that you're innocent and they let you leave now... Is this going to happen to you again? This isn't a good look for anyone. Like the safest thing for you to do is run away and never come back. Very Simba, the whole situation. (laughs) Get out of here. (laughs) And never return. And never return. After stalling long enough for the woman to get clear of the mob, Judge Brewster reemerged from his home and announced that she's gone. And they're like, what the fuck? What do you mean she's gone? How did you lose her? And he's like, witchcraft i don't know she's gone she disappeared (laughs) i got so distracted with the kissing and they were like well we need to search for her and like what's the verdict is she a witch like what is the deal and he was like well since she's no longer present for this trial i can't make a verdict i can't say whether she's guilty or she's innocent she's not here she has to be here for me to make that decision and you know the crowd did not like this of course (laughs) They were enraged and some even threatened like the judge's safety and his home. But Judge Brewster literally would not relent. And the mob just eventually dispersed and returned to their homes. And from what we know, this woman like ran away, got away safely and hopefully was never hurt by an angry mob ever again. Changed her name. 
I know. Whole Changed new alias. Country. Different colony. She's like jumping Super ship. Super Swedish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she becomes Margaret Matson. <laughs> no! No! But I just thought that was such an incredible story. He didn't fight anyone. I mean, he argued with people, definitely. But just very rational being like, I'm so sorry, you need to leave. Like the safest thing for you to do is to get out of here. And I just feel like it's a very like interesting and like circumstantial of the 1600s, 1700s of how you like look out for people and like you try to do the best, like have the best interest for people and especially people that need help and need to be defended and stuck up for. And literally all he could do is like have her leave the situation, but he was able to stall them long enough that it kind of risked more his life at that point while she could get away. I just thought that was a really incredible story, honestly. I want to know mm-hmm. how he arranged for her to secretly escape because, I mean, his house cannot be that big. So, like, and the mob is all around the house. Like, even if they're, like, not totally in the background, I'm sure they're going to see a woman, like, running away into the woods. Like, did he roll her up in a carpet? Like, <laughs> like did he put her in, like a laundry basket and send her away to the laundromat? Like, how did this happen? I know, I want to know the details, but I'm assuming there must have been some kind of backdoor situation. And Mm -hmm. maybe, I mean, they said mob, but like five people could be a mob, right? So it doesn't say how big, but if you have like five angry men, like you can grab a little woman or we don't even know if she's old, but you can just like grab a bitch, you know? Yeah, that's true. I guess like, okay, hold on. Let me look up. A mob can be fewer than 10 okay. to more than 100. I don't think there were 100 people at this man's house. I don't know if there were 100 people in Pennsylvania. And not at that point. No. But yeah, I want to know. I want the fan fiction though. So if anyone has any ideas of how she escaped, like, please let us know. I think that would be amazing. Then we also have the story of Mall Dairy. Mall Dairy was also known as the Witch of Fayette County. So Mary Mall, M-O-L-L, Dairy, was probably the most well-known witch of the western half of Pennsylvania. She was also called the fortune teller of the revolution or the witch of Monagahela. I think that's how you say it. I don't know what that means. Is it a flower? Is it a disease? It doesn't matter because it's a made-up fucking word that Pennsylvania, I don't respect it. I don't like it. I don't acknowledge it. Yeah, we're going to ignore it. Fortune teller of the revolution, though, that's pretty sick. That's cool. Maul was well known for predicting the future, curing ailments, and placing curses. So she kind of did it all. Like, that was her thing, you know? Sometimes, I love this description. She was described to be so petite that she slept in a cradle. (gasps) She's just this little woman. She's just a a little guy. Just a little witchy woman. And in the mid-1790s, Maul ran into three men who mocked and taunted her about her rumored abilities. Apparently, she looked coldly at the men and told them that they would all hang. She, like, threatened them, you know? But the thing is, they did all (gasps) hang. What? The first man killed another man in a drunken fight in 1795. So he was arrested, tried, found guilty, and hanged. Literal executed, done. First man over. The second man robbed and murdered a peddler who was passing through Fayette County. At his trial in 1800, he was also sentenced to death and hanged. And the third man, it, this feels like that um, that story in Harry Potter with like the three brothers. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> 
But the third man was in so much despair, knowing that he too would also die by hanging, that he crossed over into Greene County and committed suicide by hanging himself. Boom, done. Check, check, and check. Got him. Oh my God, he met he met death. He met as death. a friend. As a... <laughs> yes, exactly. What the fuck? Isn't that crazy? I mean, okay, God damn, mom. <laughs> she meant it. Respect. She was like, okay, you're coming after my career. You're going down. My abilities, don't you dare. And then another story of Maul's power is from an incident that either happened in 1818 or 1819. So a man from New Jersey was passing through the town when he ran into an old friend of his named John Updike. The man said he had heard of Maul and wanted to go get his fortune told by her. Like he was like, she sounds great, you know? Like, how cool that you have this woman here who can, like, see the future. And John was like, yeah, of course I'll take you to Maul. Like, why not? But instead, John took the New Jersey man to the back of his home where he and his buddy, Ned Cassidy, robbed and then murdered this man. Which I feel like this happens all the time. This must just be a thing back then. This man just wanted to go here who he was going to marry, mm-hmm. and then he met his death. I know. Now, Ned, so the buddy, regretted this immediately. Like, yeah, they robbed and killed the guy and hid the body by the mill pond, and no one could concretely point to Ned Cassidy and John Updike for the murders. Like, there was no blood trail leading them there. There's no forensics. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they got away with it. It's over. No fingerprints, no fingerprints, no epithelials. Exactly. No hair. Like, they don't know to look for this shit. Secreter, non-secreter. No one knows. (laughs) But Ned did not feel good about it. He couldn't sleep, and he was, like, racked with guilt. This guilt was driving him crazy. It was all he could think about. He just, like, could not get over what he did. He felt really bad, which, good. People should feel bad. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But he went to Mall Dairy to ask her for a cure. Because, you know, he's not sleeping or anything. And so according to the legends, he comes to Maul. He's like, Maul, I'm not sleeping. I, I have this thing on my mind and I, I, it just won't let me sleep. And it's just going over and over. And if you have anything that can help me, like, I would love something, anything, Maul, please. Apparently, Maul looks at him, fixes her eyes on him with an evil glare and says, why are you coming to me when your hands are still wet from your dirty work at the mill pond? <gasps> no. She accuses him, right, blank, and being like, that's where the body is. You obviously did it. You want me to feel bad for you? You want me to help you sleep? Yeah. You're a murderer. Exactly. So shocked and terrified because she knew, and Ned knew she knew, you know. Ned ran away, and he never came back. So he was like, I'm gone. I'm out. I've fucking learned my lesson. I'm not doing this anymore. But his partner, John Updike, the guy who had gotten Ned into this mess in the first place, wasn't so lucky. So it is said that Mulderry had an apprentice at the time named Hannah Clark. Hannah is basically living out our Kiki's Delivery Service fantasies by being an apprentice witch. But she really wanted justice for the New Jersey man, just like Maul did. One day, a local citizen, just, you know, your average Joe, we don't have to be concerned with this guy, just a nice guy, came to visit Hannah, and when he arrived, he saw a drawing on the back of her door that vaguely looks like John Updike. There must have been some shading in there or something. She really, like, captured his nose and his essence in this drawing. 
His little mustache. Exactly. His weird eye. And there was a rusty nail protruding from the drawing's head. When this man asked Hannah what her still life portrait was about, Hannah said that if the nail went completely into the door, then John Updike would die. So instead, she was going to slowly hammer the nail in week after week after week so that John would suffer for the crime he committed. Oh, this is my kind of fucking witchcraft. I know. This is crazy. Collectible. The local citizen was kind of like, whoa, actually, this could really be like real witchcraft. This is so fascinating because, you know, he's not scared. He's already gone to this girl like he knows what this is all about. So he went to visit John Updike's house, but he's like third party. Like, I'm just here and as an investigative journalist trying to figure out if what's happening is real. And lo and behold, he like knocks on the door. He starts talking to John and John is complaining about a headache. No. And then weeks later, John is screaming in pain from his excruciating headaches. And he confesses to the crime of killing the New Jersey man. And the next day, Hannah hammers the nail fully into the door and John Updike dies. Some fucking Appalachian Oh, that's crazy. It's like, I am going to make you scream. That's crazy. And writhe in pain. And then once you confess, I'm going to kill you. Over. Because it's like it doesn't make up. It doesn't make up for what you did. Exactly. Wow. It's so crazy. Pennsylvania witchcraft should not be trifled with. No, it should not be. I'm going to tell you also another terrifying tale. Oh, yes. Okay. So we had a couple Patreon questions, which it was really interesting to me that we actually have a lot of listeners from Pennsylvania. One of our original winners from the um, first year that we did like our anniversary... Like tarot reading? Yeah. Like our anniversary fundraiser. One of our winners is like an hour outside of Kecksburg. It's like so crazy. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. And I said, why didn't you tell me not to go there? (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to tell you about Heckenkampfrock, which is also known as Witch's Head. So Heckenkampfrock is a rock formation six miles outside of Easton, Pennsylvania, an hour and a half north of Philly. So if I don't know if you remember while we were driving, it's part of the Heckenkamp Ridge, which is part of the Appalachian Mountains. So there's a bunch of ridges... And sometimes you go, when you're driving, you go on top of the mountain, and sometimes you go through. Mm -hmm. This is what's called a basement rock, which is the oldest kind of metamorphic rock. That's the rock that was, like, at one time, it's, like, one kind of rock. And then due to, like, pressure and heat, it turns into, like, a fucking monstrosity. (laughs) So a metamorphic rock is, like, so carbon is, like, beat the shit out of in the middle of the earth, and it comes out as diamonds. That's, like, a metamorphic rock. So my first question, besides the geological interest of it was why did a baby witch demand us to speak on this stupid fucking rock <laughs> and hex and Kampf rock was originally used by the lenape people during healing rituals where the sick and the dying were taken to the stone picked them up and they carried them boop, 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 over to the stone and the doctor would exercise the evil spirit or the illness from the sick and store it in the rock so it's kind of like a bank account <laughs> of evil spirits. Amazing. This would be done under moonlight when the rock was said to glow, most likely due to the large quantities of mica that were on the surface at the time. Mm. And of course, William Penn came in. He said, this land is our land and signed a bunch of weird like agreements with the Lenape and resettled them elsewhere. But when the first German and Dutch immigrants began resettling in Pennsylvania, they picked up on this like strange Lenape tradition holding their own 
Hexenkampf healing ceremonies, which they ended up calling a part of powwow. Ooh, okay. We keep saying powwow, and we're going to get into it later. Do not worry, baby witch, who specifically asked in the Patreon comments. So here's a little picture of this creepy rock. German folklore, which I sort of understood the German people to be an extreme people. I mean, look at my eyebrows. Gorgeous. They are extreme. Yeah. So Germanic folklore is pretty demonic. They invented Krampus. Mm -hmm. You know, if that gives you kind of any kind of hint. So Hexenkampf rock quickly spun from a healing rock filled with evil spirits to a magnet for evil spirits and witches. Oh, that's a 180. Who would want to hang out? Well, I don't want to shake my mic, but who would want to hang out with this big sexy rock, huh? One of the people that love evil spirits and illnesses. So So local women who were secretly witches were said to leave their beds in the middle of the night and fly to this rock and leave sticks in their place so that, you know, they wouldn't alert their husbands in their absence. Oh, wait. So they did a whole, like, bed situation of, like, the hay and the bed and, like, this burlap sack is my head. A Shawshank Redemption. Yes. One such story is, and I got this from salconsource.com, I quote, a husband who accused his wife of practicing witchcraft when he saw her rubbing herself with ointment, read, moisturizer, <laughs> recite an incantation, read, God is a woman and she's on my side, <laughs> hop on a broomstick and vanish, poof. Curious, he repeated the process and found himself transported to Hexenkampf Rock where he landed in the middle of a witch's dance, a witch's sabbat. Oh, shit. Next thing he knew, he woke up dazed in a neighbor's pig pen, which I say, fucking deserve it. Drunk. private time. Drunk. Just drunk. High on Molly. This man was seeing stars, baby. Another such sighting. Apparently, there's a headless hunter and a headless dog that roam the woods around Hexenkamp Rock looking for a mysterious white fox. And then the ghost of a one-legged farmer who fell to his death off of the rocks while pursuing a witch. You can hear his wooden leg tapping on the rocks as he approaches the edge. That's crazy. Uh, or maybe it's more like, and then like a dragging sound. <laughs> <laughs> what is this headless hunter and this headless dog doing with this fox, though? What, where's their heads? I think this is potentially like a... Uh, What's the one in New York? The Headless Horseman? Yeah, like a Sleepy Hollow situation. Yeah, I think that people in the 1800s were very fascinated by the idea of a human that could run around with its head cut off. Maybe it was like a chicken thing. Like, you know how some Mm -hmm. chickens can for a bit? So maybe they were like, oh, people can too. And so can dogs. So can... Okay. Yeah, so can foxes. No. Weird. Another modern story comes from Roy Kitchlin Jr. Don't forget. Roy Kitchlin Sr., not a part of this. <laughs> he got out. Roy Kitchlin Jr. So he said that in the 1970s, him and his three buddies, who were all 15 at the time, and also probably drunk off their asses, because that's yeah. what 15-year-old boys were up to in the 1970s, oh, for climbed sure. up Hexenkampf Rock to spend the night. Probably like a I dare you, no I dare you, no I double dog dare you situation. Mm-hmm. And around midnight... He swears that on an otherwise clear night, a huge, ominous black cloud settled just over Hexenkampf Rock. Okay. And then, you want to know what they did? What'd they do? 
they ran away. What bitches. I know! That's what I said! I was like, Velma would never let these fucking Scooby-Doo ass motherfuckers. We gotta find, we gotta unmask. How dare you? Oh, they got scared of a cloud? Yeah, so him and his friends, they fled back home, and they were too afraid to look behind them. And that's the fucking story. And I said, Roy, what are, what good are you to me? That's when Roy Kilchlin Sr. was like, we're disowning you. You're out of the will. I you can't do this. You have to go live this. in Kecksburg. <laughs> I never want to see you again. Today, Hexenkamp Rock is a magnet for pagans and witches. So Robert Schuer, an Ergla Awe priest, which is a Pennsylvania Dutch heathen religion, that's how they describe it, says Ergla Awe followers pilgrimage to the rock every year in April, probably around uh, Ostara season. Mm -hmm. In their folklore, their goddess, Hola, leaves her home in the rock on Samhain to chase lost souls in another realm. Quote, she returns home to the rock in April to restart the cycle of rebirth. So Robert says every year, there are sightings of a woman in white, which is what their goddess is described as. So that's why they go and they worship her at this rock so that, I don't know, she feels at home. And she's like, don't look at me. No. Leave I'm me alone. i my 90s. <laughs> now I'm going to talk to you about Hawk Mountain. Which so we is, have a different rock. In Pennsylvania, you know what they got? Panera breads, sticky Thai food, and rocks. These are the three <laughs> things you could get in Pennsylvania. So... Hawk Mountain is part of the Blue Mountain Ridge of the Appalachian Mountains. It's also about an hour and a half northwest of Philly, west of Allentown. So when you're driving through, you can get your bearings. So an area that we're particularly interested in is Schombacher's Tavern. So the area of Hawk Mountain that Schombacher's Tavern is on was the site of a lot of violence and carnage during the French-Indian War. In fact, the site where Schombacher Tavern exists today is on the land where colonist families were brutally murdered by indigenous people. We're talking women and children. It was built by the only survivor of the massacre, and the property was purchased by Matthias and Margaret Schombacher in the mid-1800s. There's a lot of spirits of angry indigenous people, angry colonists. It's just a, it's a place of violence, and it's terrifying. But yeah. if you look at this adorable cottage... Oh, it's very cute. It looks like a really nice Airbnb. So the thing about Schombacher Tavern is that it's built in the perfect halfway point for hunters and travelers going through and up the Blue Ridge Mountains, okay? And of course, it looks very inviting. It's like a little, I don't know, English cottage. Maybe you'd like baked bread. It looks like it would be in the Great British Baking Show. Oh, for sure. But it wasn't uncommon, apparently, for travelers to go up Hawk Mountain, stop, at the Schombacher Tavern and not come back down. Oh, shit. And not too long after these disappearances, Matthias, the man who ran the tavern, would come back down to town with clothes and trinkets to sell. <sighs> Murder. So I got a lot of this information from Hagenbuch.org. Some told of how Matthias plied guests with food and drink until they could no longer stay awake. And once in a deep sleep, a, what, what one would call a food coma from lots yeah. of carbs. The Matthias big sleep. Would, the big sleep. The big one. Mm -hmm. Matthias would murder the travelers and sell their belongings for profit. To dispose the bodies, he would first hack them up, ba -ba 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 -ba, chop them up, saute them. No, hack them up. And then some pieces would be dumped into an old well, while others were strewn in the forest for animals to eat. That's crazy. Schombacher, however... 
found some guests more useful than others. Oh, According no. to one story in particular, a hungry traveler who stopped at the tavern was served a meal called oh. Old German Sausage. Uh-oh. The, the traveler began to eat, but found that the food didn't quite taste right, maybe a little too Jeffrey Dahmery. And then he realized, as he was eating the sausage, that there were no pigs or livestock on this property anywhere. And eventually, the man put two and two together and figured that he might be next. And so he made a hasty escape, made it out, decided he would not be the next sausage. And he wee-wee-weed all the way home, baby. Okay, but do you think German sausage is like, this is penis? Like in the way, like, what was it? Like X Factor? It was like, you have to eat a horse penis. Yeah. You have to eat a German man's dick. Something like that. I mean, German, old German sausage doesn't taste quite right. That's what I would think. It's obviously this person's German. But what is the sausage? I feel like it's got to be penis. That was, I was like, I was like, did he describe it as chewy? Did he describe it as eerily salty? He was just like, it just doesn't taste right. Which I, I don't know. I think you could season something and get it to taste fine. But listen. Mm-hmm. The English, the Europeans went to war over spices because they had nothing. Oh, you're right. You're right. So this is just German person. Yeah. Okay. Oh, man. What a bummer. I know. Unsalted. Unseasoned. Yeah. Then I think you could definitely tell if it tastes good or not, if it tastes right or not. Mm-hmm. What a tragedy. Legend has it that Matthias, before his death in 1879, confessed to killing 11 people throughout his time as the innkeeper and claimed that an evil spirit whispered in his stupid little tiny Pennsylvania ear all night and all day to kill, to kill, to kill. And spirits of the missing are said to haunt the countryside of Hawk Mountain. That is crazy. That guy is fucked up. Yeah, well, he's dead. He can't get you now. Okay, well, that's good. But in that cute little cottage, like, what a waste of a nice accommodation. So sometimes when I look at Zillow, I think we've talked about this before, and I'll look at, like, apartments in Los Angeles, and I'm like, that is an adorable apartment, but it totally looks like something I've seen on Unsolved Mysteries. On ID. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's like, I swear to God, the Golden State Killer has killed a woman here. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, what a bummer. But so now we're getting to the very anticipated topic of powwowers, which was brought to us by patron baby witch Alyssa. So she had a question about powwows. And powwowers were, like I kind of said at the beginning, local good witches, but they weren't really called a witch at that time. So a witch for the majority of Pennsylvania history was someone who utilized dark magic. And a powwower was more of a folk healer. So they had some cool like cures and everything, but it was all... For good. And locals would go to powwowers for relief from colds and illnesses. And also, if you thought a witch had cursed you, like a real witch, a bad witch, capital W witch, you would go to a powwower and they would remove the curse. So they're the good guys here. Powwowers would also locate lost objects, animals, and people. They could tell the future and they could provide good luck amulets. Oh, I like gems. So this is the person you want to go to. Yeah. This is good. I love jewelry. And it was believed that many people could powwow, but certain families were more prone to it. Kind of like with clairvoyance. 
Just like certain people, like certain families, like the Claire runs deep, you know? And like Alyssa mentioned in her question, which was just more of like information, but she gave like a huge blur because she had a powwow in her family like back in the day. But the families would pass down skills and alternate between the sexes. So one generation... A guy is a powwower and he gets all the secrets. And the next one, a girl gets all the secrets and she becomes the powwower. And that's kind of how they like kept it secret, but kept it going. Which Alyssa had mentioned in her question that one of the problems was it was supposed to go to a son next and there never was a son. And thus the powwow skills were lost to time because of the fucking gender binary. That's so sad. It is crazy, but I found it very interesting that it's like... It had like an equality aspect to it. Like it's not just the weird woman who's doing all the magic. It's like men could do it too. It was very like equal in that way. Mm-hmm. And a lot of powwowers were Christian religious and would implement the Lord into their techniques. So there would be a lot of like holding your hands over the person's body or even like breathing on someone's wound three times while then saying the Lord's prayer three times. So you would enact a lot of like Christ into it and just feel like the heavy vibrations of the Christian religion. Yeah. And ritual objects were also very important in powwow. For example, let's say someone has like this really disgusting wart that they want to get rid of. So they go to a powwower and the powwower would rub an object like a potato, for instance, on the wart while saying an incantation. So, you know, you get that potato juice on your face. Love it. Later, the powwower would bury the potato and that would remove the wart because now that the potato is buried... The wart is on the potato, and the potato is imprisoned under the earth. So your wart's going to disappear. I love the language of, the potato is imprisoned. It's imprisoned, okay? And Alyssa had given an example of using a silver spoon to cure a hernia was the old, like, thing she had heard. And so it probably had to do with this idea of transference of power, which was very big in powwow. So you would rub the spoon on the hernia. And, you know, better a spoon than a potato for this one. Rub the spoon on the hernia, and then you would bury the spoon or hide it away or somehow get rid of it. You, like, capture it or you imprison the spoon some way, somehow. And then the idea is now that you've gotten rid of the hernia spoon, the hernia itself would go away. So it's kind of like a capture and hide situation. That's very similar to Hex and Comp Rock of, like, we take the sick to the rock and we're just going to... We're going to take the evil spirit and put it in the rock. And hopefully it will accrue interest. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So uh, that made a lot of sense when you were talking about it, because that's like the powwow thing of we're just going to transfer this onto like a ritual object and dispose of it. And for that rockets, we're just going to leave it here. (laughs) It lives here. I don't want to look at this. Yeah, I don't want to deal with this anymore. That's fascinating. And then we also had some questions about hex signs and different types of hex signs, but I feel like that would be a really good mini-sode for us to jump into one day. For sure. I definitely think we should do it. If you want like a preliminary research into hex signs, you can always go to our hex episode. Oh yeah, I forgot we did that. Yeah. Damn, we cover a lot of shit on this podcast. That's what we were. We were like, hex sign, look. (laughs) Every hex sign. Since Alicia said... It's your birthday, but I'm tired. I have COVID <laughs> and don't come over. I do have COVID. And you're ugly. So I said, okay, fine. I guess that means it's... 
Which is in the news, but which is in the news means your friend is not ugly. So you cannot <laughs> let them say that about themselves because I would never no say that about you. Allowed. You are a shining star. I do not make friends with ugly people. I'm a beautiful sapphire. Exactly. And you better stay that way if we want to maintain this friendship. Oh, <laughs> Those eyebrows, bitch. Boom. Wax that goatee. Our first story is new discoveries in King Tut's tomb. It's not about witches, but it's about mummies. And I thought that was pretty close. Okay. <laughs> Give me a break. I have COVID, so I'm very confused. <laughs> King Tut's tomb was unearthed on November 4th, 1922. So literally like a hundred years ago, dude. <gasps> Isn't that crazy? It had the that 100th anniversary. And we did nothing. We did nothing. Like a hundred years ago, it was like the big like Egyptian, not even panic. It's like the opposite of panic, like celebration. Everyone was doing like Egyptian things and like cultural appropriation. Like it was the end thing to do, you know? And more recently, archaeologists have uncovered coffins and papyrus documents at the site of King Tut's tomb that they believe to have belonged to another pharaoh named King Teti. Which I was like, I love that they keep the names like kind of similar. Makes it confusing, but why not? These artifacts will be displayed at the Grand Egyptian Museum in Giza, which is planned to be the largest archaeological museum in the world, which sounds sick, honestly. That sounds cool. It either sounds like it could be a really cool museum or like the most boring museum you've ever been to. Oh my God, so much writing. So much right, so much dirt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe there's like an interactive section for like, you know, at like a children's museum where you kind of like play in the dirt. Like that could be fun. That's what I'm about. Give me projections. Yes. Like I want to get my hands dirty. I don't want to look at these dirty rocks. Yeah. Let me know about gravity. And uh, I don't know. I'm just thinking what else is at the Jersey City Science Museum. (laughs) (laughs) The, The Liberty Science Center. Yeah. Still, even with new discoveries occurring all the time, surprisingly, not much is known about the boy pharaoh, King Tut. So he took the throne more than 3,000 years ago, which, iconic. 3,000 years ago? Wow, how bay. At just nine years old and reigned for less than a decade. It is believed he may have lived with a lot of pain due to a cleft palate, curved spine, and weakened immune system before dying from malaria and a broken leg. This kid did not have a good time. No, not at all. And he is like the pharaoh, the mummy that we're all like, oh my God, so cool, you know? And it's just this poor beaten up little kid getting all these diseases and like breaking his fucking leg. Man. He's like, who's the Romanoff? Baby Alexi or whatever? Oh, yeah. Just a gentle little sweet boy whose mother loved him. He just wanted to rest in peace. And we were all like, King Tut's so cool. And it's like, he's 19. (laughs) He's not that cool. But that was was the story. I was like, damn, fuck yeah. A hundred years of King Tut, the boy pharaoh. Crazy. I can't believe... That this was not all over social media. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I feel like I should have given some money to Egypt or something for their museum and all of the things that white people have stolen from them over the decades. That's true. Maybe we've been focusing too much on the Romanovs and not enough on Egypt. So maybe we need to start talking about mummies more. Okay, I'm down with that. Okay, I'm with it. I love my mummy. Yeah. Aw, 
How sweet. Okay, our next story is Jarkand India's witchcraft problem. We know all about Jarkand India's witchcraft problem, I can tell you. But this goes a little bit more in depth about the actual problem that's going on. A new article came out in the India Times talking about Jarkand's region's witchcraft problem. So our baby witches know the stories about how people, 95% women, we got some statistics from this, 95% women are killed due to a belief that whatever malice has fallen onto their community is actually due to witchcraft. And in the past 23 years, 1,050 women branded as witches in this region were then murdered. And that's 1,050 of those who were murdered, not 1,050 of those who were just witches and escaped, like called witches and have escaped. Tortured, tried, had to leave their homes. That's like two-thirds of our lives? Mm-hmm. That's nuts. It's crazy. These witchcraft accusations may have been going on for decades, but it gained big attention back in 1995 when a woman named Chutney Devi was accused of being a witch. When the daughter of a neighbor of hers fell ill, Chutney was blamed for that and branded as a witch. She was imposed a fine of 500 rubies, and, you know, she was like, okay, I'll pay it, like... It's fine. Don't worry about it. Everyone was trying to say that she was trying to kill the neighbor's daughter. And she's like, absolutely not. I'm not doing this. Like, I just don't want you guys to be mad at me. I will pay the money. I don't care. So she gave the money. But when the neighbor's daughter didn't recover from the illness, like literally the next day, a group of 40 to 50 people attacked her house. She was dragged out of the house, stripped, mercilessly beaten, and had urine and feces thrown at her. What? Isn't that crazy? And Chutney did survive. Like, that's the most shocking part of all of this. She survived. And ever since, she has been working to uplift women and fight against the superstition. She has rescued and helped hundreds of women that have been in her exact same position. And this happened all the way back in 1995. So it's still crazy that we're hearing, like, this shit happening today. You would think that would be over by now. I need a calculator. And how many women was it? 1,050. Yeah. A woman is branded and murdered a witch at least once a week. That's crazy. In India. Yeah. For the past 23 years. And this is specifically focusing on that region, which keep in mind, India is fucking huge. It's a big huge. place. That's so crazy. Yeah. And now Jarkin records three incidents of witch hunt violence per day. Violence per day. Mm-hmm. And once a week, at least someone is murdered. And 30 to 40% of the violence doesn't even reach the police. So almost half. Almost half. So most victims do not even report any violence that happens to them or harassment due to the fear of those who are accusing them, like actually retaliating against them and the social stigma of it. And most of the harassment, I found this very interesting, is faced from their own family. So the incidents have to be so bad that they are literally like feel threatened for their lives for them to actually go to the authorities because it's their family. They're just like letting it slide. I was like, this is actually a really eye opening article. Like, I don't think anyone's ever like spelled it out like that for us. Yeah, because you just you hear about it and you hope that it's not systematic Mm -hmm. like this. But in a region in the world and this problem is all over our planet yeah three per day just in this region yeah and that's like just the ones that are reported it's crazy terrifying these poor women yeah it's very very sad anyone no 
And so the article went on to say that the action items needed to help fix this issue are to make the law stricter, to have faster, like fast track courts for these cases, and to increase campaigns to spread awareness about these accusations. And a lot of it is due to like illiteracy and just like, this is what people think are happening. Like these are their beliefs and they're very just superstitious and it's easier to throw blame on a person than possibly a government that's ignoring you. Stuff like that. Wow. It's wild. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm ready for the bread for this. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, The bread, the toasted bread. So our final story, keeping it easy breezy, you know, love to punch you in the face and then give you a kiss on your way out. Kathy Najimi did her research for Hocus Pocus. So we're going to shift gears, pop culture, baby. Everything's fine. Let it go. Let it go. For the original Hocus Pocus, <laughs> Tara can't let it go. I know. It's sad. Okay, I'm ready for Kathy Najimi. For the original Hocus Pocus, Kathy Najimi, so the Sanderson witch that barked and like rode the vacuum for anyone who's like, I don't know who that is. That's not Bette Midler made it clear to the director and producers that by playing a witch, she wanted to ensure she wasn't stereotyping witches. And this was kind of pretty woke for the times, honestly, since the film, the first one was shot in the early 1990s. She was really thinking about this. Kathy knew about pagan and Wicca communities at the time and didn't want to insult them with her interpretation of a Sanderson witch. So looking to do her research, Kathy sat down and talk to the Gloria Steinem about the character. Feminist icon, Gloria Steinem. And this was before the internet, but Gloria told her about how people have weaponized the word witch to be about women for hundreds of years to put them in their place. And from this talk, Kathy learned why witches were known as like baby eaters. That was a big thing because in the movies, they kind of like steal the souls of children. And so there's this conception that witches ate babies, just like that dingo. Rip. But that's because many were midwives and healers that would help women with unwanted pregnancies and abortions. And due to helping a woman get rid of her baby, the masses saw these healers as possible baby eaters. They just like got rid of them. Yeah. And what, what would they do with them? You would eat them. What else would you do? Yeah. And then Kathy went on to create a memorable performance as one of the three Sanderson sisters, which honestly is now a touchstone for what the wider media thinks when it thinks of witches. And she did all that because she did her homework. So that is the importance of doing your homework, baby witches. You should always do your homework. That's the biggest lesson of today. Think about everything within like the larger schema of our society. You have to, every time you're thinking about witchcraft, you should also be thinking about witchcraft in the context of race, gender, society, culture, all of it. I know it's a lot of levels, but you'll only be better for it, you know? Yeah, I love layers. I love onions. Oh, I love onions. And birthday cakes. And ogres. Don't forget an ogre. And this has been Witches in the News. Yay, thank you. Can you hear us on my mic? welcome. Yes. And then to close out this birthday episode, I've provided you with age comes wisdom, a sage leaf wisdom spell. Ooh, okay. This is from the big book of herbal spells. So if you've been struggling with a problem and could use some wisdom, try the spell to clean out your energy and open your mind to guidance. It's best, baby witch, to work this magic shortly before bed. Okay. Here's what you're going to need. Seven to ten sage leaves. A blue or black candle. Make this one little. A 
little candle, a journal or something to write on. This is optional. And then an extra candle, it said, for atmosphere. Ooh. So you're going to start off by lighting your extra candle for ambiance. Love that. Then you're going to do the witch yes patented three deep breaths because the third one is the magical one. And if you're feeling a lot of mixed up feelings or sticky energy while you're starting this spell, take some time to write it out and untangle the mess on your writing paper. Now arrange the sage leaves so that they form a circle around the candle that you're going to be working with. This is your blue or black candle. And then keep back at least one. So if you're using seven, put down six. If you're using 10, put down nine. Rub this one on your wrist in your temples, and then begin speaking out aloud to the universe about your situation as if you're explaining the situation to a beloved friend. I can't believe she said this to me. I can't. <laughs> Say it like it's gossip. Yeah, I think that's how we should be doing a lot of these spells. Mm-hmm. When you're ready, formulate the clearest question you can about the situation because you just kind of unloaded on your best friend, the universe, and ask this question directly. Then light the blue or black candle and say the following words or something similar. I now release my question to the wise crone energy of the universe. And then because your candle is lil, you're going to let that candle burn out on its own and leave the sage leaves overnight and then bury them in the earth the next day. And then for the next couple days, allow the answers to come to you, whether that be in your dreams, in conversations you're having with others. Or uh, in the words of a wise witch, yes, podcast host, dump him. Leave him. Get out of there. Kill him, question mark. Jump. Jump. (laughs) Always jump. And again, this has been from the Big Book of Herbal Spells. Well, thank you. That was lovely. Oh my God, you're so welcome. I love how easy that one was too. And we would like to thank our producer, Marcel Perez, our creative director, Mallory Porter, our resident intern and researcher, Brian Rainey, and Kevin McLeod for doing the music on our intro and outro that we have for you each time we put out an episode, baby. I'd also really like to thank anyone who has written an Apple podcast or a Spotify review. It really means a lot to us. If you have not subscribed to our show, I don't know how you found this episode. You're sleeping. Please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give us five stars, write something. It literally costs you nothing, and it means everything to us. It really does. It brings a smile to our faces, and isn't that beautiful? It's like the holiday season now, basically. It's the joy of the holidays. If you want to find me, Alicia, I'm on Instagram at Alicia period herder. And if you want to find Tara, that's me. I'm on Instagram at her lovely face, or you can find me my private Instagram, which is pictures of my dog and also whatever I'm eating. That's underscore little moss. And then the podcast is on Instagram at which yes, share an episode in your stories, tag us and we'll feature you on our stories and just, you know, come on out, say hi, say what's up. We love it. And you can also join the discord server. The discord server is popping and locking and you can ask any question about witchcraft that you have on there. Like if you have a question, feel free to ask. Or if you're looking for a community, the Discord server is a place to go. And if you don't like any of the socials, because they are scary, social interaction is terrifying. You can always email us with any questions or thoughts or I don't know, fan mail at witchyespodcast at gmail.com. 
And then, baby witches, if this episode is not enough and you want over 70 extra episodes oh my gosh. to listen to during our break, which this is the second to last episode of the season, <gasps> so there's oh, one no. more. Oh my gosh, this is wild. And then you get nothing until next year. You can find us on Patreon, $5 Patreon, which is in above. We're getting two extra episodes a month. They get to ask us questions. It's delightful. And then $10 and above get access to our close friends list and more. And uh, I don't know. Fucking do it. It's fun. It is fun. If you've been looking for a coven, which yes is it? We're fine. We're spunky. We're quirky. We're pretty. And I guess, Alicia, do you have anything else to say to me? Happy birthday, bitch. And I guess this has been Witch Yes. You can Venmo me at Tara, T-E-R-R-A dash K-E-C-K. <laughs>